So the car comes to a halt, and what's mm-hmm. the next thing you remember? Well, I remember that it had died, and I don't know why the engine would die from doing donuts, but it did. I remember the windows were down because it was a summer night, and I heard a knock on the passenger side, and I turn, and I see a man standing there. And he just, all he said was, you look like you could do some help. Can I come get in your car? So I said, okay. And then he hopped in the car, figured out it was still in drive, which is why I wouldn't uh, turn on, and then gunned us across the freeway and parked behind his own car, which uh, I, I remember being a nice BMW. And then he um, looked at me and he was like, you're going to be okay? You need me to follow you for a little bit? And I, all I can remember saying is, no, I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, you take care of yourself. And he got out and hopped back in his car and drove off. It had always sort of been in the back of my mind because it was such a puzzle, uh, as I think it is for a lot of people. Why would somebody risk their life to help a stranger anonymously and, you know, clearly with no hope in it for any kind of acclaim or payoff at all? And, and he took real risks. And so it just... Uh, you know, why would anybody do that? That question, why would anybody do that? When I heard Abigail's story um, on the radio, I was struck by her question. And maybe it's because a couple years ago, I was in an accident a lot like hers. Um, I was driving on the freeway and heard this horrible sound and looked to my right and saw a car that was starting to skid and realized in a split second that the car was skidding across the freeway heading right towards my car. And I remember just being aware that the car was going to hit me. And I remember just praying and asking God to help. And then I remember just, even though this this is foolish, closing my eyes and just letting the impact happen and feeling the sensation of my car. It felt like it was spinning or at least moving. And after a while, feeling the car come to a standstill. And I remember opening my eyes and realizing I was still alive. Uh, My car was um, at the very far end of the fast lane at that point, just sitting still. And I remember people helped me climb out my window. I think my window was all broken. And I remember that there were people there just helping me while we waited for the police. And eventually, the police helped us bring my car across to the shoulder. And and I went on from there. And so I identify with Abigail's question, why would anybody help like that? Why would anybody risk themselves sacrificially to help someone else? Abigail became a researcher, the woman whose story we heard. She became a researcher and devoted her life to studying why anybody would sacrificially help someone else, putting their own lives at danger. And I picture myself at Abigail's TED Talk. In my mind, I picture myself in the audience at the TED Talk. And although in my real personality, I would probably never do this, I picture myself in the middle of the TED Talk sort of just quietly raising my hand and saying, like, excuse me for a moment. I think I know why. And I picture in my mind the TED Talk audience um, kind of looking around and Abigail from the stage kind of looking and I picture myself in my mind in this 
this um, wild imagination, just saying, yeah, I think, I think actually that I know why. Um, because there's a God who created every one of us, and that God is compassionate, and he is sacrificial, and he loves, and he cares about us, and he helps us. And I think that's why. I think that's why someone would stop and sacrificially help someone, because we're made in his image. Good morning again to everybody. For those who don't know me, my name's Jenny. I'm one of the pastors here at Orange Coast. And I didn't grow up knowing God. Um, It was in college that uh, through friends, I began to learn about Jesus, and I began to read the Bible for, first, for the first time. And I be- began to read about this God who created us, and this God who is compassionate and who is loving. And I got to read about Jesus, and God with us, and the things that Jesus said and did. And as I read about Jesus, he began to capture my heart. I'm loving this sermon series that we're in this year, going through the book of Luke. We're getting to read these scriptures that impacted me when I was reading them for the very first time and seeing what this God is like, seeing what Jesus is like. And I want to invite you to join me as we uh, pray for this morning's message. God, thank you. Thank you that you, the God who created all that is, the God who created us, who created us in your image, thank you that you are a compassionate God. Thank you that you are God with us in Jesus. God, I pray that as we look at this morning's passage from Luke, God, I ask that you would touch our lives with it, that we would be captured by what Jesus is like, um, how Jesus acts, what Jesus says, what Jesus does. God, I pray for my heart, I pray for our hearts, um, that we would be impacted by what we hear from you here this morning. God, we thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At Christmas time, we got to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And as we've continued through the sermon series, we've seen Jesus' baptism. We've seen him be tempted in the desert. And then we've seen one amazing, world-changing day when Jesus went into the synagogue and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, this Old Testament prophet, was handed to Jesus. And we watched as Jesus unrolled that scroll and read from it. And he read words about the Spirit of the Lord upon him. He read words that spoke of being anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, Words that spoke of recovery of sight for the blind, the oppressed being set free, and words that spoke of the year of the Lord's favor. And then we've watched with Jesus as Jesus has gone around healing people. As Jesus has set people free from demonic oppression, we've watched as Jesus has personally touched a man with leprosy and set him free from leprosy. We watched as Jesus forgave and healed a paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof to get to the presence of Jesus. And then we've watched as Jesus has eaten with tax collectors and sinners. We've watched Jesus fulfilling all these things that that scroll of the prophet Isaiah prophesied would be fulfilled. Jesus 
said that, that, that those words were speaking of himself, and we've watched as he has been doing those things through the scripture in Luke. But we've also watched as tension has begun to grow up. Controversy and tension has been increasing between the old and the new as the people and the religious leaders are struggling with, with Jesus, with the new things that he is doing. He, he's the promised Messiah who was to come, but he is not, he's not acting in the way that they anticipated that he would. And so we've been watching as this tension has begun growing more and more behind the scenes as people struggle to try to understand the old and the new and the new things that Jesus is bringing. Last week, Pastor Phil preached on a passage where Jesus tells these two, um, gives these two images that paint a picture of the old versus the new. The first image was of a garment that needs to be repaired, and Jesus points out how it wouldn't work too well to take cloth from a new garment to try to patch the old garment. The second picture was a picture of um, wine being poured in a wineskin. And Jesus shares about how it wouldn't work well to pour new wine into an old wineskin because the wineskin will burst. And Jesus ended those two stories by saying, no one who knows the old, who has tasted the old, wants the new because they feel that the old is better. And so Jesus has been painting these pictures of this tension between the old and the new. And it is those pictures that lead right into today's passage. So let's, let's jump into the scripture in Luke chapter 6 at verse 1. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain and rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. And some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? One Sabbath, Jesus, those words struck me as I was studying for this passage. When I first looked at this passage and saw how the Sabbath played a role in this passage, I just thought of the Sabbath here as a setting for the, um, the legalism of the religious leaders to, to shine forth. But as I continued seeking God about this passage and studying it, I felt like God stirred up in me. Um, a passion for the, the beauty and the power of the Sabbath. In the Old Testament, God shares through Moses with his people why it is that they should observe a Sabbath. And God gives two beautiful, powerful reasons. First, God says that they should observe a Sabbath because in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, but God rested on the seventh day, and that therefore God blessed that day and made it holy, and that we as people created in the image of God should likewise work for six days and then have the blessing of this Sabbath rest. God is speaking to a people who were slaves in Israel and were on their way out of Israel towards the promised land, and these words of a Sabbath rest um, are incredible words of blessing to a people who had been enslaved. And that is the second reason that God gives for why there should be a Sabbath rest. God says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt 
and that the Lord your God brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Think about this for a people who had been slaves, never having a Sabbath rest. And God is blessing them and their sons and daughters and their servants, their animals, the foreigners that work in their towns. God is blessing them with this Sabbath rest. And it's on this kind of Sabbath day that we see Jesus going through the grain fields with his disciples. And the disciples pick some heads of grain. They rub the grain in their hands. They're hungry. And as they walk along, they eat of this grain. I want to let you know, at my heart, in my heart, I'm a rule follower. I don't know if we have other people in this room. Are some of you rule followers in your personality? And do we have some rule benders here in this room as well? <laughs> I see Pastor Toby raising his hand. I'm not sure which one he's replying to. Rule bender? <laughs> rule bender. <laughs> I am a rule follower in my heart, and I want to share just a silly story about that. You know, I teach mathematics at a university, and I have a friend who works in the career center a couple buildings over from me, and her office is at the end of a large U-shaped hallway, and her office is right by a door that says on it, exit only, do not enter. And so for the longest time, as a rule follower, I would go to the entrance door and walk all the way through the U to get to her office because that door right by her office says, exit only, do not enter. I'm a rule follower. And I imagine if I was with Jesus and his disciples as they walked through the green fields, and if I began to see the other disciples rubbing the heads of grain and, um, and eating of it, I would have known that um, part of that was for sure okay. God graciously gave the people um, the gift of being able to um, take of the produce as they're walking through a neighbor's fields. That was okay. It was God's gracious provision for people in need that they could take of that produce as they were walking through the fields. But if I was there that day on that Sabbath walking through the fields with Jesus and the disciples, I would also have known that there were, that there were scriptural rules as well as Jewish teaching rules around what could be done and what could not be done on the Sabbath. And I might have thought to myself, rubbing this grain in my hands, that's, that's like reaping, it's like threshing. And I might have thought to myself as a rule follower, I'm not sure that's okay. And just to be safe, even though, even though I'm hungry and the other disciples are doing it, um, I'll pass. <laughs> I'll just let them do it, but I'll pass. And even with Jesus right there walking with us, I still probably would have said, like, that's okay. I'll be okay. Um, I'll pass. I'll eat later. And so I feel like I can understand the perspective of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were men who had devoted their lives to following God and teaching others to follow God. 
And I might have been just like them that day in the field, wanting to make sure that I did not violate the rules of the Sabbath. So I can understand the Pharisees when they ask, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? But I want to look at Jesus' answer. Let's pick up the scripture in verse 3. Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? David entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to, to his companions. Then Jesus said to them these powerful words, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I mentioned that I uh, got to know God during my years in college. And I remember during my sophomore year, I was early on in that process of exploring God. And um, I experienced what my mom called a sophomore slump. You know, the, the excitement of being in college from my freshman year had worn off. And I was struggling with, why am I majoring in math? Um, like, why is that a worthwhile thing to do? Why am I asking my parents to pay all this money for me to go to a private school? And I was struggling with uh, bigger questions like, what's the meaning of life? Like, what am I doing here, putting all of these hours into studying? And I remember one afternoon, um, a friend of mine who was a little older than me, um, he, he spent an afternoon, in my memory of it, talking with me about this and encouraging me and trying to help me through this sophomore slump. And I remember that um, after we had been talking for quite a while, I realized that he was missing a class to spend this time talking with me. And as a rule follower, I was horrified because I felt like we could have talked a different day. Like this could have waited we didn't have to talk right now. We didn't have to um, have you miss a class to talk with me. At the same time, though, this memory has stayed with me. It's been about like 27 years since then, and it's stayed with me because somehow in that friend being willing to sort of break the rules of what it means to be a good student and miss a class and maybe have it hurt his grade— Somehow in that, I saw God's love. I saw how God sacrifices for us. I saw how God doesn't say, let it wait for another day, but how, how God cares about us in the moment. And I feel like in Jesus' answer to the Pharisees, when they question why the disciples are eating this grain on the Sabbath, and picking it and, and uh, rubbing it and eating it, I feel like in Jesus' reply, I see that heart of God that says, these are human beings, they are hungry, um, they can eat. I see God's love in Jesus' reply. The story that Jesus refers to, though, is quite unusual. He tells the, the Pharisees a story of David. David was a king, uh, the most famous king of the Jewish people. And David was revered. He was a man after God's own heart. 
But this story that Jesus tells captures a low point in David's life. This was a time before David was king, when David was being persecuted and chased after by King Saul. And so David is essentially going into hiding, and he, he goes to this religious, um, this religious house, and he is hungry, and whoever is with him, they're hungry. And he goes to the priest of this religious house and asks if there is any food that they can be given because they're hungry. And in this time of need, the priest takes bread that had been offered um, as an offering to God. Each week, bread would be put out as an offering to God. And then afterwards, it would be removed and new bread would be put out. And the priest takes the bread that was now um, being removed and replaced. This is bread that was only to be eaten by the priests. And the priest gives this bread to David, and David is able to eat it. And I think that Jesus is saying, um, Pharisees, you accept that God allowed David to eat this bread. How much more so when I, Jesus, am here with my disciples, allowing them to eat? How much more so should you accept that? Jesus calls himself Lord of the Sabbath. He calls himself Son of Man. He's using rich Old Testament language of Son of Man to, to, um, to point to himself as the one that the Pharisees are waiting for. And yet, the Pharisees are struggling because, again, this Jesus is doing things in a new way, and the Pharisees are struggling with the tension and the controversy raised with the old and the new coming together. And Luke continues on, and the tension rises even further. Let's pick up the story again in verse 6. On another Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. A couple of weeks ago, I received an email from a missions ministry that I'm part of. I've met the founder of this ministry. And the email had this photo of this beautiful young woman in Nepal named Maya. And this young woman has a medical condition in which her leg has swollen so that it literally looks like it's maybe like 10 times as big as it should be. And when I got this email, I struggled to even take in what I was looking at. At first, my mind and my heart couldn't even comprehend it. And then when I realized that this was real and that this ministry was asking for prayer for her and was asking for help for her to have a surgery, my heart went out to her. But I have to say that I let the email sit there, and I moved on with my life. On this Sabbath, Jesus is teaching, and he sees a man with a shriveled hand. And Jesus could have just moved on. Jesus could have told the man, I'm sorry, this is the Sabbath. If your life was in danger, I could help you today. 
but your life isn't in danger. You can wait another day with your shriveled hand and come back tomorrow. Jesus could have said that. And as I studied the scripture and prepared for this message um, and saw God's heart, Jesus' heart in this, I pulled that email back out from about Maya in Nepal yesterday. I pulled that email back out and looked at how I could help because, because I was sensing God's heart that does not say, just wait for another day. But God's heart says, there's a person in need, um, and my heart goes out to them. So on the Sabbath day, Jesus is teaching And he sees the man with the shriveled hand. And let's pick up the story in verse 8. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. He knew what the Pharisees were thinking. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. I picture the courage of that man with the shriveled hand to obey what Jesus is saying and stand up with everyone looking at him. So the man got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, and I think of, I think of this verse as our key verse for this morning. Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? The Pharisees are there in the synagogue, a place of worship. But the Pharisees are not there worshiping. There's teaching going on. Jesus is teaching. And the Pharisees are not receiving that teaching. The Pharisees are there watching Jesus because they wish to have a way to accuse him. And I wonder, as the Pharisees are looking for a way to accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. I wonder who is it really that is breaking the Sabbath that day? The Pharisees are in this place of worship looking for a reason to accuse him. So Jesus continues in verse 10. Jesus looked around at them all. I picture that Jesus is requiring engagement from them all. Like, you all see the man with the shriveled hand. How are you going to respond to this? And Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man did so, and in the stretching out of his hand, his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. In the account of this same story in the Gospel of Mark in the Bible, Mark records that Jesus looks around and he's angry and he's distressed at their stubborn hearts. This is a man in need with a shriveled hand. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law are furious. They have like a blinding, irrational, almost insane rage because of this tension around the old and the new. The Pharisees have been waiting for the Messiah for generations and generations and generations. But now that Jesus is here, they are struggling 
to understand because of the tension of the old versus the new. They missed the one that they were waiting for. We might think that there would be praise to God. The man with the shriveled hand has been healed. But instead, it appears that the Pharisees have made their choice. And they begin to discuss with one another what they will do to Jesus. The other gospel accounts in the Bible say that the Pharisees begin to plot how they will kill Jesus. They have seen Jesus in his compassion heal a man with a shriveled hand, and they are going to plot how to kill Jesus. And I wonder how we struggle with the old and the new, how we struggle when Jesus does things that are different than what we expect. In our Life Together group this morning, we discussed this passage, and one member of our group was saying, she doesn't want to ever miss out on what God is doing. She doesn't want this struggle with the old and the new to cause her to miss out on what God is doing. And I wonder what God um, is saying to, to you this morning as we reflect on this tension between the old and new, this tension between longing for Jesus and all that he brings, but struggling when we don't understand what he brings because it is different than what we expect. And I want to invite us to take a little time this morning in prayer to ask God and to listen to God for what he is saying to each of us regarding this tension of wanting to receive all that he is bringing, but struggling when it is different than what we might expect. Would you join me in prayer? God, we see that you are a God of mercy and compassion. And yet, you do things that are different than what we expect. And God, sometimes that brings tension and controversy. God, I pray for each of us here. I ask that you would speak personally to each of us here. Help us to see Help us to see you, God. Help us to see where we might struggle. Help me to see where I might struggle between the old and the new and being able to see you, God, when you do things that are different than what I might have expected. God, I pray for each of us that you would speak into our hearts. Help us to hear you. Help us to hear what you're saying to us this day. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give a weekly challenge as usual, but I think in the past I've thought of this as an invitation to study. And today I want to give it to you as an invitation to prayer, that these could be prayer prompts for you and for me this week. You're welcome if you'd like to take out your cell phone and take a picture of this. And I'd invite you to, this week, let God speak to you uh, through perhaps these prayer prompts. To know God's love better, I want to invite us to reread the passage that we've looked at this morning from Luke 6. And I want to invite you to, to ask God and reflect 
on how there might be some ways that you or I might be like the Pharisees, how we might struggle to understand the new thing that God is doing. Also ask God, in what ways you're like the disciples, following along with Jesus and, um, and being there and um, maybe struggling as well, but, but following Jesus and learning God's ways. And then perhaps ask God in what ways you are like the man with the shriveled hand, where there's brokenness, where you, where you, need, you need that compassion of God. Um, to touch your life and to bring restoration from that brokenness. And if God brings things up in your mind and heart, go to him because he is the God that heals us in our brokenness. To grow in God's love, I want to invite you to reread this portion of the scripture from last week's message on the the garment being patched and the wineskins. And reflect further on how this connects with the scripture we looked at today. And perhaps interact with God around this question of how do you respond when God does something new? And let God, let God speak to you around that. I'll be letting God speak to me around that too. And then overflow this question In Luke chapter 6, verse 9, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? I want to invite you this week to consider taking some Sabbath time, enjoying some Sabbath time, and serving someone as a, a part of that Sabbath time, being like Jesus and how he served on the Sabbath. As I was preparing this message, there was a song that I found myself humming or singing just at different points in my days as I thought about this message. And it's the song, um, I Have a Maker, He Knows My Name. Going back to Abigail's question from the beginning, she asked, why, why would someone sacrificially help another person? And again, I, I think it's because we're made in God's image. We're made in the image of our maker, and, and that is what he is like. He is compassionate. He knows our name, and he's with us. So I want to invite us, as we close this service, to uh, worship God through the song, I have a maker, he knows my name. So if you would, would you uh, please stand, and let's worship God together through this song.